Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 48. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, Anyone who divorced his wife, give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wonderful. Thanks for that reading, Bevan. I guess um, part of me wants to apologize for the length of the reading. Another part of me says you should never apologize for reading Scripture. Um, I remember someone asked me, so do you want to have this Scripture read out in its entirety on Sunday? And I thought, yes. Yes, I do. Um, And... I'm glad there was Bevan reading because he's just got the most phenomenal reading voice. At night, when I'm putting my daughter to sleep, we listen to Winnie the Pooh on audio tape. And that's what Bevan reminds me of. Without the voice of Piglet and Eeyore and all the rest of it, he reminds me of the narrator uh, doing Winnie the Pooh. It's such a good reading voice. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Nick Harris. I serve as a, as a teacher in the college here and as one of the youth and young adult pastors at the church. And It's just such an honor to stand before you today and to have this opportunity to unpack and to work through Scripture with you. And uh, we are working through Scripture today, but it's important uh, to recap. We've been doing this series, An Extraordinary Life, and we're in part three of an eight-week series. And and to date, we've really had different preachers at each of our three congregations. We're three congregations, and on most Sundays, we've had a preacher bringing their unique insights to the same passages. And so for myself, I was speaking on the one week, I have no idea what the other preacher said. And then on the second week, I was here, but I was in children's ministry. And so I've had to get the information secondhand, and Pastor Ben was speaking at night. And so this is my synopsis as I've sort of weaved what's been said across three different congregations just to lay our platform. So week one, here we go. This is going to be good. Week one, we encountered Jesus. He, he's walking through and uh, he's going along and he's got his close friends with him. But as he's walking through, through town, people just begin to see him, to drop what they're doing and to follow alongside him. They've heard things. There's rumors going around about what this man can do. And so they decide, well, you know what? Today, I'm just fishing. Today, I'm just grocery shopping. Today, I am just going to work. Whatever it is, today, I think there might be something more important. Let me go see what this Jesus guy is all about. So they followed him. And Jesus, he's, he's going through, and eventually his crowd, I don't know, like, he's God. So I don't know if he's got, like, this cosmic calculator going in the back of his head. And he's like, all right, crowd's now at 3,500, time to stop. That's critical mass. I want to teach now, but he gets to this mountainside and he stops and he steps up on a rocky platform. And in the inner circle, he's got his close friends, those that have heard him speaking and doing things before. But then outside of that, there's just a whole bunch of people who simply have been drawn in. They got no idea what they're about to experience. And then Jesus begins to launch into one of the most epic sermons, sorry, the most epic sermon ever. So epic that it's going to take us eight weeks to skim the surface of what he's saying. That reading that we just went through, I'm skimming the surface 
of that reading. Jesus is the epic preacher. So he begins and he says, Blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who mourn the breakdown of their relationship with God. Blessed are those who are humble and blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And what Jesus is saying at the very start is, you will live a blessed life if you depend on me. I don't know if the other preachers came to that conclusion, but Jesus is saying, depend on me, and that is where your blessing will come from. He says, if you want to be one of my followers and you want to see if you're following me, then your life will be characterized by mercy, by um, a drive for purity, and by peace. Those are the next three blessings. And then Jesus gets to his pinch points. He says, and if you're truly someone who follows me, then here's the skinny. The simple reality is at some stage you're going to experience struggle, trial, persecution. But guess what? There is really, really good news in every season. Every season. The blessing is that I am with you always. And when I read the scripture, I sort of just imagine this mountainside crowd and their faces and what's going on. And there's those people, they've heard this and they're like, yeah, this is good. And there's these people, they're hearing it for the first time. They're going, I have no idea what's going on. How do I digest this? And before they can even digest what's going on, Jesus just jumps on. He says, you are the salt and the light of the world. Now, I don't exactly know how this played out last week because I was in children's church. But I, I can imagine what Jesus wasn't saying is he wasn't saying, when you get to your front door, grab some salt, throw it over your head and start walking. Put your salt on. No, no, it's, it's you are. In other words, because of who you are in me, you just simply go about being who you are, who I've created to be, you to be. And, and you are salt. You are light. Pastor Ben in the evening congregation made this point. He said, salt. Ever noticed how at pubs? You've been to pubs. How back in the day, doesn't really happen these days, they used to just have like these bowls of peanuts and pretzels. The whole idea was salt makes you thirsty. This is good marketing. Salt makes you thirsty, so you eat the peanuts for free and then you buy the overpriced drink to push up their profits. But if you take that analogy further, what Jesus is saying is, hey, because you know me, you are salt. And so as you go into the world, as you go into your workplace, as you go into your school, your university, as you, as you hang around your neighborhood, your friends, your saltiness should make the world thirsty to know about me. You don't scatter that over your head. That's just who you are. And can you imagine that, that, that audience at the mountainside, they're sitting there, they're listening to this and they're going, oh my goodness. I just thought salt was something you rubbed into your meat. Now I'm salt. This is radical stuff. And I've been finding it just, just liberating to know that as a follower of Christ, I'm called to depend on God and to go be who he's made me to be. And that's going to make a difference. So we get to week three. This is where I get to kick in. And uh, Jesus, he's, he's just continuing this, this epic sermon. And... Uh, He's, he's there, and, and you've got to imagine, you've got to imagine it's the first time you've ever heard the voice of Jesus. And you've got to imagine it's the first time you've ever heard these words, because as he's speaking these words out, they are super fresh, they're vibrant, and the ideas, it's, it's, you don't Wikipedia any of these ideas, it's, it's all brand new. And so Jesus, he, he's, he's coming up and he says, all right, I've been talking for a bit, so here's the big question that you all have. The big question you all have is how and why? do we do this? How do you live an extraordinary life? So Jesus says, and this is where our reading kicks in, Jesus says, all right, this is what you're going to do. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
And right now, I know you're sitting there going, oh, I've heard that part of Scripture before. And everyone in Jesus' audience is going, oh my goodness, I've heard that too. It is just the most boring, mundane, frustrating thing ever to possibly hear. And there's just like this, I can just imagine thousands of people just audibly groaning, come on, not another legalistic teacher. We've got too many of these people keeping the law. They're like, there's 630 laws, dude. We thought you are going to bring us something different. Keeping the law is impossible. And Jesus goes, yeah, exactly. Keeping the law is impossible. For unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, those that are really good at doing this, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, the thing that we're all hoping for. And it's at this point that the people uh, who are new into Jesus' crowd, like, can you imagine if you're new in Jesus' crowd? They're probably thinking, all right, I gave up my work for today. I thought I might hear something new from this Jesus guy. That was wrong. Now I'm stuck in a crowd of thousands. How do I get out of here without tripping over someone's robe or sandals because there's money to be made and this guy's just another one of those legalistic dudes? And then Jesus, he comes out with these super familiar Old Testament words. Everyone in the audience, just like you, you, you know these words. Everyone in the audience knew these words. Jesus says, you have heard it said before. You see, he knew that they knew it. You have said, you've heard it said before, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And he listened to that, and it's just like, whoa, that's, that's crazy, right? Like, that's not the way this law is normally taught. That's a really big jump. Like, from murder to, to anger, everyone gets angry, don't they? And so does our anger make us all murderers? Because that seems a bit extreme. And then Jesus goes, you want some extreme examples? Let me give you something extreme. Jesus says, all right, all right, all right, here it is. Here's, don't call someone a fool. Don't call someone rocker, which means airhead, you know, empty in the mind. Bet you've done that sometimes. And Jesus says, here's why. He says, you don't want to have the person that you're in conflict with to decide to take you to court because you might end up in court on trial. And guess what? You might lose and go to prison. And so what Jesus has done is he's taken this, this Old Testament law that everyone knew, don't murder. And don't murder, like that's super easy to achieve, right? Like, I'm not going to get you to do this just in case I get an answer I'm not expecting. But I can imagine that if I was just, to, let's just run this little test. I'm a teacher, I like tests. I hate marking, but I like the tests. Uh, if I were to say, all right, if you've murdered anyone, please stand up. Don't you dare stand up. <laughs> I imagine that there's no one in this room that needs to stand up because it's really easy to say, tick that murder or do not murder box. That's an easy law to maintain. Most people don't get themselves into that situation. But Jesus says, don't get angry and don't speak ill of someone. What if I asked you this question again, don't you dare stand up because that's just awkward. What if I said to you, on the way to church this morning, Stand up if you got angry with your children, your pets, some moron on the road, the line at Timber because that place is cranking, because someone told you the heater was going to be working and then the pastor says, guess what? It's here, but it doesn't work. That made me a little bit angry. I mean, if I were to ask that question, I'm sure that on any given day, many of you would be standing what about your everyday experiences? Ever run into the shop before? 
you're like super pressed for time, you've got guests coming, the kids were laid out of school, you've just got to get these last two ingredients to cook this meal that you think will work and taste good and that might just meet their FODMAP gluten-free something diet. And so you run into the shops and you're trying to serve these people and, and the shops are crazy packed out, you get what you want, you get to the aisle and everything's packed out, but guess what, there's that quick checkout lane. And it's not that long, so you run into it and you count up, yes, I've only got 11 items, 12 or less. Person in front of you doesn't seem to have much. And then all of a sudden, another person just pops up and just pours like this whole other basket into the person in front of you's thing. And now it's not like they've got 11, 12 or 13 items. They've got 25 items. And then you're like, 12 or less, idiot. Get out. Time pressure. Or what about, you know, when you're driving into work and, and it's this traffic jam because there's construction and there's always just roadworks on the Kunana Freeway. And it's back to back and you're just trying to get into the city. And, and then all of a sudden, some guy behind you just like just jumps on that horn and you're like, can you not see the million cars in front of me? And then you're like, do I give him the single finger salute or do I just keep, you know, pretending like I don't know what's going on? Anger. Man. You might want to call it annoyed or frustrated, but they're just other words for anger. It happens. It's such a normal, everyday part of life. So if anger is part of everyday, what do you do with Jesus' teaching where he says, anger, murder, same, don't do it. You want to be a follower of me? Don't get angry. You want to be a good Christian? No anger. How's that working out for you? It's not working out for me. Not at all. And I'm making the presumption that I'm not the only angry person in this church. And that's why I just love what Jesus is doing. Because if, as, we, as we pack into this, this, this snippet of the sermon that I'm going to deal with, what he's, what he's doing is he's freeing us from legalism. See, for Jesus, the aim is always to move beyond legalistic paradigms. See, he takes murder, easy checkbox. That's a legalistic paradigm. And then he says, anger. And you see, what he's doing, right, it's not, he's not trying to give you another checkbox you can tick off because anger you can't tick off. What he's doing is he's, he's moving into a new paradigm. He's moving into the transformation of the hearts and minds of his followers. He's calling us to live a new way. I'm going to say it again. Every single time Jesus is teaching something, he's not trying to give you a chore to do. He's trying to change our hearts and our minds so that we might live differently. Don't murder, easy. Problem is, don't murder is so easy. And when there's 630 laws... You can begin to think you're righteous because you can keep them. But when you bring it down to anger, Jesus says, no, no, no. You see, you're holding murder in your hearts. You're holding resentment. You're holding bitterness. So don't tell me you can check off any box and find your righteousness because as a person, you hold that. So you can't claim it. So Jesus, he, he's sitting on this mountainside talking to this audience. He's got his friends. He's got these people who are just there to check him out. He goes, don't be angry, right? I get it. That's impossible. And every person sitting there going, yes, Jesus, that is impossible. What do you actually want from us, Jesus? There's got to be some sort of catch. So Jesus, he goes further. He goes, all right, let me give you an illustration. Let me just play this out for you. Let's make sure that everyone's on the same page. We understand how this anger thing works. So he says, therefore, 
if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then while you're making this offering, you suddenly remember that your brother has something against you, then what I want you to do is I want you to leave your gift at the altar. And everyone sitting there or standing if they're in the background, they're going, Jesus, you don't do that. You can't come into the church, into the sanctuary, and start making an offering and then just be like, uh, actually, I decided something bad. That's breaking the purity laws. There are serious consequences for making this violation. But Jesus is making the point, and it's not a point against purity laws. He's, he's not, from what I can tell, he's not interested in that. Jesus is saying, look, there is something far deeper always at play, something more valuable that overrides the usual expectations of society. Jesus says, <clears throat> don't try look like you're righteous. Don't come to church and try to pretend like everything's okay when actually you have got relational work that's left to be done. Don't come here and pretend like it's all good when your relationships are in disrepair. He goes on, he says in verse 24, first be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, all right, you want to know what it's like to be one of my followers? Well, if you want to be one of my followers, you need to have a kingdom heart, and kingdom hearts seek reconciliation in relationship. Reconciliation in relationship. So Jesus, he's got this mountainside audience. He says, you've got to depend on me. You've got to know that as you go out, you are salt and light because you know me. And he says, and as you do this, here it is. Don't try fake it. Don't try tick any legal boxes. You can't do that. Let me free you from, from the, the, the test, from the, the, the temptation to do that. It's all about the heart, people. It's all about the heart. So we've got to play this out practically. What does this look like? What does this look like? I mentioned at the start, uh, as I was thinking about Bevan's voice, um, I've got a daughter. She's um, just over two, and uh, she's awesome. I come home from school every day and I got my, like, my bag, my lunchbox, my other lunchbox, uh, my gym clothes, my keys, my water bottle, and a protein shake bottle, which is empty. I, got, I don't know how I opened the door. And then she comes running down the hallway and she's like, Daddy! And I'm like, oh, don't drop anything. You're going to crush this kid. Um, and also pretend like I can handle this right now, like hold it all together. But one of the things that we do, May Rose and I, when we're playing is we do lots of pretend. Like sometimes I'm exhausted and she says, Daddy! Less sleep. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Yes, less sleep. So we get like we, we lie down and we get into the blankets. And just as I'm probably about to fall asleep in about 30 seconds, she goes, All right, morning time. And I'm like, no. No, it's not. Or Daddy, I brought you this tea, and there'll be a cup there, and sure enough, she'll have made the tea. If you watch her, she'll pour it all in, she'll stir stuff up, and, and then I gotta like drink it. I'm glad it's an empty cup. The day will come when it's not empty, and that will be a whole new board game. But we play pretend all the time, so let's pretend this is a classroom. I'm going to give you a pretend situation. Um, this is not a situation I'd give my two-year-old. If you give your two-year-olds this situation, you're a bad parent. You deserve to be reported. But here it is. I need to give you guys a situation which is going to make you angry, okay? So you just got to imagine that this is you. It's going to make you angry. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're not married. Be careful if you are married and you sit next to someone, you're like, yeah, that's good. Talk to a pastor. 
Imagine you're not married, you've been dating someone for a while, and uh, it's not just like some frivolous, let's go out for coffee um, once a month kind of dating. This is a serious relationship, you've been together for a while, and uh, you've actually sat down and had the conversation, should we get married, and, and the answer is yes, okay, when should we get engaged, and uh, how long do we want to be engaged for, and what are our finances like, and how many kids, and do we want dogs or cats, like what kind of people, you've done all that. He or she's ticked all those boxes, and so you're literally just in that stage of, I wonder if he or she's asked my parents, and we're going to do this thing. That's exciting. And then you suddenly get the news that you find out that your partner's been seeing someone else behind your back. They've been cheating on you. And it hurts, right? And once you deal with some of that pain, there must be so much anger. If If you're at that stage in your life, and then all of a sudden you find out that's happening behind your back. So that's our pretend scenario. Now it's time for the quiz. How do you respond? What is the Christian, what is the Christ-like relationship-restoring way to respond? Is it A, Jesus said murder, anger, they equal the same thing. So I'm hiring the mafia and that guy or girl, whoo, dead with God, so he may as well be dead. Is it B, I'm dropping that moron, and every single time I hear or see someone who knows him, I'm getting right, and I'm defaming that name. He's never going to work again. He's never going to be able to see um, anyone that's related to our sports club, church. Man, no Christian's ever going to look that guy in the eye again because of what he did to me. Is it C? Jesus said, as a Christian, we need to bear our cross. That life with him is hard. And maybe my burden to bear is that I've got a partner who's just not faithful. But I'm going to love them anyway because God says we need to stick this thing out. Or is it D? That as you're somehow going through the grief and the turmoil of finding that that where you thought you were heading is not where you're heading, but you say, God, help me in this situation. Help me to truly forgive this person that I loved. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me discernment as I think of the way to move forward, which may mean breaking up it may mean staying together that's it's now your imaginary scenario so i'm not going there but what should you do it's d right always d because d requires dependency on god that's the start of the sermon d requires us to restore relationship d calls us back into wholeness you see The relationship may be over or maybe you're going to continue. But when you step into the space of D where you give everything over to God, the simple reality is you carry less baggage as you move forward. And you do it with Christ at your side. And he's the one who's lifting the weight and the burden off you. There is so much more that I could say about anger. I have a word count on messages. Good messages, 2,000 to 3,000 words. I was at 4,500 last night and I wasn't finished. Don't worry, this is 2,500, cut it all out. There's lots that could be said. And Jesus, he says a whole bunch more. Bevan, sensational job reading, he says, Jesus does this, he takes this external act of adultery in the next segment, and it's another Old Testament law. Everyone knew it. The whole thing that he goes through, you've heard it said, these are all just famous laws that he's working through. He takes adultery and he says, no, no, adultery, that's, that's the same as that sideways glance. You know when you're walking down the street and you look at something that's not yours and you think, yep, that would be good. I'd like that. I'd like to be with him or her. 
and all of a sudden you realize, whoop, that's not, that's not the person I'm actually supposed to be with. See, every single person, we've done that. We've done that with objects. We've done that with people. There's, we've done that with people's lives. If only my kids were like that. If only my house was like that. If only my boss. We, we've had that sideways glance. Where we've just coveted. We've wished for something else. And Jesus, he just simply says, you know what? If you want to live an extraordinary life, what you've got to do is you've got to cut out the distraction. He says, cut out your eye, cut out your arm, do whatever it takes to make sure that you're not looking at the thing that's going to pull you away from the position I've placed. Don't keep looking at the thing that's pulling you away from being grateful with the person I've created you to be. This is an extreme measure. And it sounds extreme because we don't get the magnitude of the situation. In 2003, there's a, there's a rock climber. His name was Aaron. This is a famous story. Um, there's a book about it. There's a movie that came out in 2010. So you know where this is heading. He, he, he decided to go out for a climb. And uh, I don't know why, but he didn't tell anyone where he's going. And so he goes off. He sets out. He's climbing like he always does. And he falls. And I don't know how he didn't end up breaking everything, but he falls. And his arm gets trapped. And he's lying there. And he's trying to move, but his arm is proper stuck. Five days, he's just trapped there, and he's just hoping that someone will come, find him, help him, and take him to safety. And after five days, he realizes, my situation is desperate. I haven't seen the movie, but according to Wikipedia, what he does is he bends his arm back as far as possible. He grabs his pocket knife, and he severs his arm. And he's still got to hike all the way through to safety. But he realized in that situation, I stay in this place where the thing that is holding me here remains a thing. Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes in life, there are things that, that you want to hold on to. You're depending on that person. You're depending on that object. You're depending on that thing to work out for you. And Jesus says, number one, it's depend on me. So sever that relationship. You've got to break that off. And that might sound like a tick box thing, but if you try to tick box that thing and just look the other way, I can guarantee you the next day you're driving down the street, you see a nice lady, you're looking again. You see, what Jesus is talking about, you've got to sever that relationship by doing something on the inside. And that can only happen by depending upon him. You know, it, the whole thing goes on. The band's going to come up. The whole thing goes on. Jesus says, you know, in extraordinary life, it's marked by truth. Jesus says, you want to know what truth is? Truth is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What an outrageous thing to say. And as Jesus says this, everyone's listening to him, and they're like, what the heck is going on here? That's the, he just had to deny who he was. And he'd get to live. But Jesus says, you know, more important than denying anything is holding on to the thing that I've been called to do. To embrace who I am in a society that might not get that. Jesus says, Evil, it's going to be overcome by love. Not legalistic action of doing the right thing, but love that moves incomprehensibly because it's been stirred by God's Spirit within. You see, Jesus, he's on this mountainside and he's teaching. He's having this chat with his listeners. And he's saying to them, you want to follow me, depend upon me. And he says, look, I want you to go out and I want you to live a life that draws people closer to me. And then he gets here and he says, and everything boils down to this. If you want to live your life following Jesus, forget the rules. 
all those rules you know, no, they don't work. Forget living for yourself. An extraordinary life is a life lived with Jesus. And it's one that allows Jesus to transform you from the inside out. An extraordinary life is a life lived with Jesus, and it's one that allows you to be transformed from the inside out. See, the thing that separates Jesus from every other teacher is not his oratory skills. It's not that he could perform crazy miracles. It's who he was. See, any other person could have sat down at a table and said, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you, this bread, it's my body. Anyone else could have said, hey, this juice is my blood poured out for you. The difference with what Jesus did and what anyone else could do is he lived it. You see, Jesus has the power, the power to set us free from whatever it is that's holding us back. And so from dinner with his friends to the cross, Christ says, I am going to love all of humanity, despite the fact that none of humanity can tick the boxes. They might get do not murder, but they nowhere near don't harbor anger in their hearts. But I love them. And I have the power to do something about that. And so Jesus undergoes separation from his father, undergoes torture and death at the cross. And three days later, he comes out victorious. No person can do that. No good teacher can die and come back to life. Only God can do this. Only God can set us free from the things on the inside. And so as we come to communion today, as we, as we wrap the service up in worship, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, you want to live an extraordinary life? Try to do X, Y, and Z. As we come to the end of the service, the simple thing that I want to call you into is to try figure out for yourself, to try experience for yourself what it might mean to live a life that truly does depend on Christ. And here's the great news. What Jesus did at the cross cost him. It was his cost. His grace is the free gift that we receive. I spent nothing. You spent nothing. So receive this gift. And then by faith, seek to live with God. As you come to the communion tables, there's one to the left and one to the right. The band's going to play. I just, I'm going to pray for us in a second. But I invite you as you come to the table to remember that coming to church is not about ticking, ticking a box. Following Jesus is not about ticking a box. It's about living an extraordinary life that's different from everyone else's because God's spirit resides within you. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you that, that we are free, that we are 100% totally free, that you are the one that saves, that you are the one that gives us freedom. Lord, I thank you that, that at the end of the day, there is no number of boxes that I can tick to get myself anywhere. That no person in here can save themselves. You are the Savior. Thank you, Father, that you are the one that looks at us, sees through all our inequalities, all our issues, all our struggles, and says, I see you, beautiful child of mine. Father, I thank you that you're the one that restores us to right relationship. 
Thank you that you are the one that's created us in your image. And so, Lord, as we come to the communion table, help us to come humbly, mourning the gap that is so present between us and you and thankful that you are the one that closes the gap. Father, as we come to the communion table, I ask, Lord, that you instill in us a desire to be pure, pure so that we may draw closer to you, pure so we may depend upon you, so that, Lord, we might experience the joy of doing every season with you. And Lord, as we walk with you everywhere, may our lives bring glory to you. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.